0: But I think perhaps the older you get and when you start having kids and stuff like that, you know, the things that are sort of happening to me um, over the last couple of years, I guess, you know, you start thinking, is it really important that I go online and really finish off this argument on the internet that (laughs) really is not going to have any effect on what I'm doing in, like, a week, let alone a year. But Peter, someone's wrong on the internet. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Where? 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 This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 42 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week, we have a special returning guest rogue. Uh, that's Peter Cooper. Hello. So uh, oh. if you're not familiar with Peter, um, we'll have him introduce himself.
0: Yeah, I was on, I think, the first 10 or so episodes, and I had to fall off because of my training that I was doing. but uh if you're in the Ruby community, you may know me. I'm the guy that ran Ruby Inside for a, a long period of time and now seemed to have semi-abandoned it, unfortunately. Uh, but I now run uh, Ruby Weekly, weekly newsletter, and I'm on the Ruby Show podcast with Jason Cipher. And, uh, yeah, a few other things like Ru- uh, Ruby Flow, which is a sort of community uh, news site that anyone can post to. So all
2: over the place.
1: Yep. Um, we also have Avdi Grimm. Hello, hello. We also have James Edward Gray.
2: I think I may be the high energy panelist today. All of everybody else is asleep.
1: <laughs> I am. I'm Charles Maxwood uh, from teachme code.com, And uh, really quickly, I just want to mention, because I have people coming to me and going, you do other podcasts? I didn't know that. So real quickly, I'm going to let you know what's out there. Um, there is JavaScript Jabber, where we talk about JavaScript. There's Ruby Freelancers, where we talk about uh, freelancing in Ruby. And, uh, I also do teach to I have a podcast there and a series of screencasts. I haven't done those in a while, but I'm going to pick them back up. So they are on the docket. So uh, keep an eye out for new stuff there anyway. Um, so we're talking about Peter stuff today.
0: <laughs> that sounds so big headed. <laughs> I, I when James came to me, um, and he said, it'd be cool to have you back on the show. I thought it was for some more kind of like general, like the, the, the concept of media and selling screencasts and all that type of thing in the Ruby space. And then I asked you yesterday and you're like, oh yeah, the show's about you. I'm like, what?
2: <laughs> it's like, it's all about you. We just want to know what makes you tick.
0: Because no, we have so many cool people in this space. Like, you know, Ryan Bates is now doing the, the Rails Cast Pro, and Jeffrey Grossenbach, I mean, been an inspiration to all of us in some respect, I'm sure. So there are so many things that I can tie into this at least. So it won't just all be about me.
2: Very true. But you were the one I could pressure into coming onto the show. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, was that nice. Yeah, I just had some blackmail material, and so it worked <laughs> for me. No, so Peter, tell us like, uh, you, you mentioned all the different things you're doing. I, I mean, I, I don't know if people actually realize. So your newsletters have over 50,000 subscribers now, is that right?
0: Yeah, not not just not the Ruby one. Um, the Ruby right. one's about 11,000, but yeah, in total.
2: Right. So you have like HTML, JavaScript, and then the new one that's uh, status code for just like developers, right?
0: Yeah, programming generally, algorithms, all that type of stuff.
2: So, so you've built this like newsletter empire, and then you also do the Rails Reloaded classes, right? That's Ruby Reloaded, yeah. Ruby Reloaded, that's right. Tell tell us what that's about. Um,
0: Ruby Reloaded kind of came off the back of seeing stuff from people like Amy Hoy and um, with her and uh, Thomas uh, Fuchs. Uh, what's it called? JavaScript Performance Masterclass? Something along those lines. Um, so they've got a class that's been very popular. They do it all over the web in a kind of like a webinar style. and they charge something like uh, $500 uh, and you go on four hours each day for two days. And everyone seems to be quite happy with it and they're always selling them out. So that's cool. But then I saw that Marc Andre uh, Coinier in Montreal, he started to put together some similar courses on uh, Rails. So there's one called Owning Rails, it's owningrails.com, and a very similar format, uh, digs into sort of like you know the internals of Rails and how Rails works, how to build your own mini version of Rails, that type of thing. And you know just inspiration from seeing those guys do that stuff. And because I'd done training in person before and kind of didn't really like the traveling side of it, I thought, hang on, I could just kind of steal their concept, as it were, and just take it to a totally different space, which in my case... The space that I knew the best was kind of like you know Ruby syntax, Ruby best practices, how to build a library, all that sort of side of things. So uh, that's where it all kicked off. And so I think I already had Ruby Weekly going quite well by that point. So I used Ruby Weekly as a kind of a springboard to promote it and uh, sold the the first one out in about a week, uh, which actually is quite bad compared to uh, Mark, who sold his Rails course out, I think, in 24 hours. In a very similar way, I actually promoted it in my newsletter but uh, mine was a little bit slower to sell, so maybe my conversion page wasn't quite so good. But uh, either way, it sold out, and I've run, what, four of them now? So I haven't been doing them every month, but uh, it's kind of almost working out that way. There's like gaps of a month or so here and there.
2: Gotcha. So uh, so the newsletters and the class and and stuff, and then you also you did that Ruby 1. nine video not too long ago, which was – the massive thing I actually mentioned on the show that covered like every insane detail of Ruby
0: 1.9 yeah that was uh, pretty epic and the reason for that and this happens with a lot of my projects is I I promise something within the project so as part of Ruby Reloaded I promised to do um, you know an introduction to Ruby 1.9 and some of the Ruby 1.9 specifics but because the course is only 8 hours long and I don't sort of sit here practicing like making sure the time is absolutely perfect I just kind of you know, know my material and go for it. So I kind of over-promised and I said to everyone, I said, well, okay, this sort of stuff will actually work better as a, a, a recorded video you can go back to anyway. So what I'll do is I'll put together a video going, you know, deep dive into 1.9 and I did that for the people on the course, but then I thought, well, why not You know, make it good enough that I can sell it independently? So there are all these byproducts that are beginning to come off the back of the Ruby Reloaded course that were originally meant to be part of the live sessions, but I can actually put into uh, separate things now. So that was one of them. And as a screencast, I mean, it was my first ever screencast that I've actually sold. I've done lots of little kind of free ones on YouTube and very scrappy type of things. But that was the first one I decided to sell. And again, I was inspired by people like, um, you know, Jeffrey Grossenbach and uh, I think Rob Connery does the uh, the tech pub stuff. And, you know, I just know a lot of people in this space. And, I just decided to sell it, so I set up with uh, what's it? Get DPD. I can't remember what the actual company name is, but uh, that's a site that I think Avdi uses that for selling one of his ebooks as well. And set that up with my PayPal account, set it all up, promoted it on the newsletter, on Ruby Inside, a couple of other places, and I think that was in late September. And it's almost sold a thousand copies now. So oh wow, it's at four months, something like that. So it's done really, really well. So uh, yeah, that that was a very good experiment.
1: So gotcha. one, one question I have about Ruby Reloaded is, it seems like you have a lot of things you can talk about. So how do you decide what goes into the course and what doesn't?
0: What I've done over the time is that i run run um, kind of questionnaires to the people who are taking part, saying, you know, what are the things that, you know, you currently know? What are the things you really want to learn? And there do seem to be these general topics coming out. So people, people often go for buzzwords, and I have to be careful about how I treat them. So, for example, a lot of people say, I want to learn metaprogramming. Now... I know we've had that discussion on uh, Ruby Roads before. In fact, I wasn't on that episode, but you guys took about 10 minutes just to like nail down a definition of metaprogramming in Ruby.
1: That was and, Josh's fault.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah we blame <laughs> Josh because he's not here. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So um, you, know, you can see how it's hard to like, take some of those things that people give you, like these buzzwords and phrases, and actually turn that into a course. But it did seem to be these common themes coming out you know, areas that people didn't know about, building a DSL, uh, you know, build, build a best practice of building a library from scratch, um, and things along those lines. And some of the things that actually starting to come out now are things like threading uh, and concurrency generally. And uh, I haven't actually put that into the course yet, but that's one of the things that people seem to be saying a lot in the last month or two. So I'll probably start to bring that in as well. So it's really just, you know, seeing what people react to on the course because certain bits, some people find a bit boring, some people, you know, find other parts Really, really exciting. So I try and steer towards the bits they find interesting uh, while covering enough of the underlying theory to make it worthwhile and uh, not just a big kind of laugh riot from start to end.
2: Right. So does, so does Ruby Reloaded kind of evolve every time you give it to kind of cover some different topics?
0: Yes. Um, it evolved from, yeah, actually every single one has been quite different to the others. And it's actually works out quite well for the people who signed up early on because I record the entire yeah. eight hours and... You know, share it in this forum that only um, you know, members can kind of get into. And so everyone can get access to the recordings of all the different runs. So I don't just limit it to each person. And uh, all of the bonuses and things that come along as well, they go to uh, everyone as well, which is why I have to keep sending um, Avdi um, amounts of money because I include his um, excellent, um, exceptional Ruby as part of the course. So anytime I get new people coming in the course, because they can access his book, I have to uh, send him some money, so but it's uh, very, very good, uh, very for money, and everyone's kind of raved about it. So, many well, thanks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I told you we had blackmail material on him. <laughs> yeah, I should probably get him to sign up for your um, your email they, thing as well. Ruby's in the ref, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- this just
0: shows you how like so many people now are getting involved in this media side of Ruby, not just necessarily in news. I guess news is where I focused. But then, of course, I've started to bring these other product, um, you know, products out as well, like Ruby Reloaded and, you know, the screencasts and uh, stuff like that, whereas a lot of people go directly to the products. So, like, you know, FD's got Exceptional, uh, Ruby, um, you know, Chuck's got the podcasts. Again, you've got the, uh, you know, James has got the, uh, the email subscription. So... <laughs> so many people are involved in it in some way or another now that so it's a very interesting space to be in i don't see this quite so much with the other programming languages i'm familiar with it tends to be a bigger divide between the producers and the doers whereas in ruby everyone's kind of almost trying to have a go at you know producing something
2: yeah yeah that was one of the reasons i i asked you to come on and talk to us about this is uh I think i I feel like there's a lot of people in the Ruby community that that want to get into like the production side and stuff. so I thought we might ask you a little bit like you know how, how did this get started? I mean, were you doing like some rails client work like the rest of us, and then you just kind of picked this up on the side or tell us how that worked?
0: I guess I've just always had a, a big interest in media and publishing generally, like even as a kid, like when I learned something like in math or whatever, like I would write my own kind of like mini textbook, like re-explaining all the concepts. And this was something that like I never even thought about that like, was weird. But then obviously as I grew up, I kind of realized that was a weird thing to do. Um, but I've always been a bit interested in that and producing papers. I started off a, a school paper and all these different things. So I guess like as much as I do love coding and software development, I guess publishing is kind of like my first love in a way. I sort of seem It seems to be kind of inbuilt for me to try and publish stuff. So that's where things like, you know, Ruby Inside came from, for example. Uh but then I started to realize that just publishing like stuff like news and doing things the kind of the old web 1 style of, you know, just putting advertising on stuff. It's quite hard to scale that, especially in a niche like Ruby for example, where there's, you know, a, compared to, you know, many other topics, there is a limited number of people and, you know, It's not like running a big blog like TechCrunch or you know even Smashing Magazine or something like that where you can make tens of thousands of dollars a month just from running ads uh, on your site. It's never going to happen in the Ruby space. So I realized that I needed to branch out. I needed to get more into the product side of things, more into the kind of I guess the old school publishing side of things. You know, literally where you have a single thing that you produce and then you sell that for money, rather than just being a kind of a modern online publisher where you just run ads and stuff like that. So that's why I went in that direction. So it was entirely guided as a, a business decision, really. It wasn't, uh, you know, I was just having to publish stuff. But in terms of actually charging money for it and productizing it, that was something I just had to do because otherwise, you know, the bottom would have fallen out, the whole advertising thing, which it you know, seems to have happened other than in the email where it uh, is actually growing.
2: So, yeah, your, your newsletters, they're free and they've always been free. But now you're using them, I guess, to as as like a vehicle. You use them to build your audience, basically, and now you use that to send your audience to products that do actually make you some money.
0: Yeah, it's all just like like a big funnel, really. But it kind of goes in various directions because I send people to websites, but then sometimes the website sends people to the newsletter. It's it's very weird. Like people just kind of. Almost go round and round the circle. Like they may be on the newsletter. They will end up at one of my sites. They'll learn about another one of my newsletters from one of the sites, and you know it's kind of all these weird cycles and things. But the good thing is, I, I'm trying to like increase my kind of surface area of contact with people because you know the more people know about my newsletters and the sites, the the more kind of you know, as long as I don't screw up, the more trusted I become. Because um, they're familiar with the name, you know, it's like seeing like a Coca-Cola. You know, if you go to I don't know Angola or somewhere, some country that perhaps you're not familiar with, you know, if you see that Coca-Cola on a you know a can or whatever, you're probably more likely to drink that than some local brand or whatever. So, I guess that's what I'm trying to do, um, you know, with my various brands and my name and stuff like that, so that people do trust, um, you know, that I'm not going to scam them or whatever, which I'm not. Uh, but then it's just my responsibility to actually produce good stuff that they're interested in buying or subscribing, and that's the tricky part. So
2: Peter so Cooper I... is the new Coke. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> the, the way you describe it, I see you. I see you uh, uh, sitting in the center of this expanding spider's web, laughing evilly as 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 the flies are are uh, are caught.
0: I don't don't didn't have come out time right. to do that. I don't have time to sit have... back and laugh. I tell you, it's so... you don't have
3: time to laugh evilly.
0: What's no. The... What's the point if you can't laugh evilly? I hope to do it in a year or two, but at the moment it's more just like <laughs> trying to stop myself, putting my ha- head in my hands and crying, so. <laughs> oh, come on. One little evil laugh. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. Hey, yeah, I did it. But yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, as, as we've gone over in this podcast so far, I mean, just literally I've mentioned probably about six or seven different projects and I had to make a list the other day of all the projects I'm involved in um and it was just ridiculous, so I'm trying to like make the ones that I do focus on be the ones that are actually contributing to some sort of future goal uh so ones that are just like complete time wasters and you know things that just take up a lot of effort or even especially emotional energy you know that's something that really comes into play when you've got so many projects going. You know, you just can't invest in things that take a lot of kind of emotional energy out of you. where you have to like, I don't know, keep chasing people for money or, you know, things along those sort of lines. So that's why I've actually scaled back a lot of client work, which I find quite draining um, into doing things that I find more exciting, but then also being able to uh, make them, you know, an income stream.
3: With all the, the projects you're doing, I'd be surprised if you had time for client work at all. I have. I do
0: very little client work now, but. I think we discussed on or casually mentioned on Twitter the other day that the problem if you don't do much client work is that you're kind of perhaps sometimes not forced out of your um normal boundaries, so it's it's harder to learn things and harder to get that kind of on the ground experience and
3: yeah, I mean that's what I worry about and uh and and kind of you know that's one thing i'm I'm interested in, in hearing from you about because you know I run into the same issue where i'm I'm publishing more things, uh, but I worry about sort of being out of touch uh you know and not being uh, you know quote real anymore because I'm not, you know, as as I do less client work, but it it seems to me and, and and I don't know, maybe you can maybe you can help me out on this. It seems to me that like there's a sort of a a barrier below which you can't really do it's like you can't really linearly scale back client work because at some point um of, you know, at some low commitment of hours per week um Uh, You know, at least for a lot of clients, um, you know, you're not going to be giving them their money's worth because you're just spending so much time each week just switching back into that that project headspace uh, because you've been thinking about other projects all the time. I mean, how do you how do you like how do you do just a little bit of client work?
0: All of my client work now, which is a very small amount, is all stuff on established uh, projects where there isn't anything major going on. It's almost maintenance work, very minor um, feature additions, things like that. So that kind of work you can scale down, you know, into sort of almost single hours per month if you wanted to, um, and assuming that they don't want anything big doing, uh, which I'm lucky to have that situation with a couple of clients. Mm. But in terms of you know, actually producing new things or get bringing on new clients, that would be a complete nightmare. I don't think that would be able to work. So the good thing though is that with all the things I'm doing and uh, you know like now i 'm starting to like build an e commerce store for you know actually selling my screencasts and books directly rather than doing it for all of these weird systems and the newsletter systems i 'm working on and stuff like that i 've kind of almost like my'm my own client to, you know to a certain extent i 've got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of technologies I want to explore while doing that so while i 'm not being given like specs from customers which perhaps might force me into tricky corners I need to get out of. Uh, I'm trying to give myself enough challenges with the various bits of development I need to do, which is why I haven't hired other people to do this work for me. Because, as you say, you know, you need to keep a hand in with this. Um, and if I was going to, you know, hire anyone to do stuff, it would be all my kind of admin work and perhaps, uh, you know, some of my, um, you know, content seeking work and stuff like that. Uh, but I haven't quite reached that point yet. But uh, I think it will happen quite soon.
1: You know you're talking about building an e commerce site to sell your screencasts and stuff, and I'm wondering why you don't use an already existing system is it just to keep uh keep things sharp or is it is it something else
0: um it's about fifty percent that and about fifty percent the whole you know the whole kind of programmers not invented here thing um which you know I am very susceptible to um, I pretty much develop every minor thing that I need to use uh but I guess the problem is I've tried lots of different systems and I've not found anything that suits me very well without needing major adjustments. Um, and actually, one thing that looked like it was going to work really well was eJunkie, which is this kind of... It looks a bit kind of skeevy from the outside, but it's actually quite <laughs> a good system for like putting together a cart that you can very easily just plug into any site. But the problem is they will not let you customize the checkout page. And it's all in like Times New Roman, and it's just a big mess. And that was the only thing I really didn't like about it. So I thought, well, that's a complete waste of time. So I thought, okay, we'll use Sinatra and, you know, um, active merchant and stuff like that and try and keep it really, really light. So I have to develop my own stuff, but in the process of doing that, I get to learn a lot of stuff as well. So I think it's a win-win for me. I get what I want and I learn some stuff on the way.
3: Nice. When did you know that, that, okay, um, you know, I'm going to be primarily a content producer now rather than, uh, you know, rather than a, a programmer for hire. I mean, when did you feel comfortable like uh, like this is this is a real career uh I'm not just, you know, I'm not just like throwing my livelihood away by by throwing my eggs mostly in this basket.
0: Well, back during the dot com kind of boom era, uh, so late 90s, early 2000s, I was primarily a freelance writer like uh, an editor and, you know, working on technical subjects, more in the sort of the web design, SEO that kind of area um for internet.com and a few other places. So I kind of already had that background then as as having it as a career, but then when the dot-com crash happened, it just like that business went away really quick because advertising dollars disappeared. So I focused a lot more on my programming, which was kind of almost like just a side interest at that point. And programming was my main thing up until I would say around 2007, 2008 when uh, Ruby and started getting a lot of interest and... You know I had quite a few advertisers coming on, and you know it was more it was enough to replace um, all of the programming work that i 'd been doing, so I kept doing programming work, but it wasn 't my main focus at that point. but really, the whole catalyst for that decision to to focus on the media side rather than the development side was that I'd built a couple of sites in two thousand and five, one called Code Snippets, which is still around it 's owned by DZone, but unfortunately they, they kind of let it get rid of with spam. Um, but it was one of the first, uh, I think it was the first tagged um, code snippet repository on the web. There were a few other repositories, but this was a tagged one kind of off that whole delicious um, idea of tags and all that sort of thing, which uh, was good fun at the time. So I built that in Rails, uh, built that up for two years and sold it to DZone. So that gave me like a deposit on my house, which was really cool. Um, but then I also had a, a kind of a startup going at the same time called Feed Digest, which was a system for taking RSS feeds and then republishing them using like JavaScript embeds and stuff like that on your own site. And we built up to about 24,000 users, I think, um, of which you know a reasonable percentage were paying. So it was a you know profitable but small business. It could only support me. So uh, I ended up selling it to a Russian company, of all things and um, made enough money from that so that I had just this really nice um kind of safety blanket as it were so from about 2007 onwards I could very easily just take the risk and just say "Yeah, I'm just going to spend a few years doing something else instead so that's what I did and um, it actually turns out that this is now a lot more work than you know and a lot more successful than those things I was running in the past but uh, I wouldn't probably have moved in this direction if I hadn't had that safety blanket, so I do have to thank programming for, you know, and that whole startup thing for getting me to this point. It was a, a very big risk to get into this game.
2: So that's interesting. How did you um, uh, come to sell those sites? Did those people approach you? How did how did you find them?
0: On the code snippets site, I have a friend, or had a friend, like, I have a friend who once owned. Um, a reasonably like m- m- well-known middle-range kind of hosting company um, about 10 years ago. And he was looking to buy up lots of different websites, uh, just kind of as investments. And he came to me, you know, was interested in buying the CodeSnippet site. But I said, well, all right, but I'm going to ask a couple other people first just to see if there's any other interest. And uh, Rick Ross from uh, DZone was very interested and literally made me um, a much more attractive offer on the spot. So I just took it immediately and went with that. So that was great. Um, so I've done this with quite a few projects, like if someone offers you something, hit up the people that you would like to see ideally buy it and say, look, I've got someone that's interested in buying it. And, you know, as long as you seem like you're being kind of honest and straightforward, then you sometimes get some really good, uh, responses to it. So pro tip there. But then with the other one, um, yeah, it came out of the blue. I literally got an email from a guy at this Russian company. Um, who was actually no longer working there when I ended up selling it to them, but he kind of started the whole deal off. And I thought it was a bit of a scam at first because you you get a weird email from Russia saying, we want to buy your (laughs) website. Um, That seems kind of weird. So I ended up speaking to him on the phone, and yeah, everything went fine. It all went through escrow, and there a very interesting company actually they run like all these sites that are kind of like lists of shareware products and stuff it's it's a very weird business i don't quite understand how it works but uh, they were very interested in expanding their kind of web 2.0 presence i think they said at the time so uh, it seemed to fit well with that and they're still running the site i think it's they called it feed, feed informer now i think it's feed.informer.com uh, but as far as i understand it last time i checked it was still running most of the code and design that i had done so Um, But yeah, it's weird. I just had people come to me and that's happened so much with a lot of my projects uh, that it's weird now where I'm having to like go out and actually uh, accost people um, a lot more because I've been a bit lazy in the past and just waited for people to come to me.
2: So you you talked earlier about how, you know, doing client work helps you stay sharp, um, which is interesting to hear you say that because I wouldn't have guessed that from you. Um, I thought the way you keep up on current things is – that you have this kind of cool synergy in doing the Ruby show and your Ruby Weekly and stuff like that, your newsletters, that those get you poking into the corners of things like all the time. And that's uh, kind of how you can stay current and know what the Ruby community is currently interested in and stuff like that. Am I wrong about that?
0: Oh, no, you're totally right. Um, I just guess I was just acknowledging the point about the benefits of client work because avdi mentioned it on twitter and you know i see a lot of value in that you know it does push you into some interesting spaces but yes in terms of doing like the curation and i do a lot of research like where i'll just say right let's uh, you know play with mongodb for a, like a few hours or something like that just so i can you know get a feel for it from all the stuff i've read and i'm sure we all do that to some level or another we all do um, sort of code catters and uh, you know things along those lines just to keep our kind of skills sharp can I, I, guess can I, I interject?
1: Because if you're not doing that, you really should be.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of that type of thing, a lot of research. And especially if I'm going to do, um, like, let's say the Ruby 1.9 walkthrough, for example, I spent just so much time over the course of a, a couple of weeks going through old RubyTalk threads. Going through stuff like blog posts that um, you James you know you posted a, a series of posts about uh, Ruby 1.9 I think back in like 2006 or something like I, w- I read all of those um, I think again actually I read them at the time but uh, you know read to- I read all that and I just read everything that was out there um, and then just distilled it all down which just seems to be one of my sort of natural talents and i don't have many of them i must admit but uh, i can take a lot of information distil it down into something so um i tend to do that a lot and i'm currently working on a very similar thing um screencast about uh, regular expressions so i've been reading all the books i can find about regular expressions what the history is all this type of stuff and i'm making notes and just trying to like distill it all down to make something um that people will find interesting at the end of the day but uh, i must admit it's a lot trickier than 1.9
2: yeah, but let's face it, you had to learn MongoDB because otherwise Jason Cypher was gonna kick you off the root of show, right? <laughs> I, think, I think he's called on MongoDB somewhat. Oh, is, I think, is, he is he over it a, now? A, now? now.
0: It
1: Speaking of Jason, there were a couple of times when Peter would say something and I was just waiting for Jason to chime in. That's what she said.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the things I love about um about your publishing uh, particularly your news publishing is that you are an opinionated uh, an opinionated source um, and you know I I, I love um, I love news publishing that that has a perspective and that ha- comes from a, a person rather than than sort of a a press release regurgitation machine uh, and of course that that obviously requires that you be you know actually a, a practitioner of, of this stuff rather than just just somebody who keeps track of the trends um, I don't know do you have anything like to say about that, I mean like was that a conscious decision on your part does that does that get you some
0: pushback at times uh, any anything on that i 'm yeah i 'm kind of at the school where I just want things to be kind of interesting but positive as well, and that 's probably the place where i 've kind of messed up a few times over the years where um, perhaps i 've written about something that 's very contentious and i 've thrown in an opinion that is also contentious into the into the part. And uh, people have taken offence, or it's caused problems, or whatever. Um, or I've written like a book review that perhaps doesn't go down very well. So uh, one example would be my review of uh, the book of Ruby um, by Hugh Collingbourne, which uh, was I think a few months ago now. I remember and, that. Yeah, it caused a bit of a storm with Hugh especially, and he even did like a, a almost like an attack video back. It was it was really bizarre. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm I'm trying to move a lot more towards. Um, being very open and positive, kind of in the Jeffrey Grossenbach school of uh, fault where uh, you try not to engage with things that are negative because even though it can bring you attention and traffic, uh, it's just not worth the hassle. It's not worth the stress. It's not worth the blood pressure. It's not worth, you know, peeving off the people that you know, um, you might upset with some of those things. So I'm trying to be more positive now and try and avoiding the negative things. So if you see like a really prominent project and I don't mention it for some reason, then you can assume I hate it at that point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which actually, so, actually, I realize that's really bad because I might not mention all of your projects. Um,
1: at- attrition oh yeah, by I mean, your uh, mission, huh?
0: Yeah, I uh, dug myself another hole. But I must admit, I sometimes look at projects like people say, oh, can you put my library in? Uh, Ruby uh, Weekly and I have a look at the code and there's like perhaps no tests or the way they've coded it is just really really bizarre and like Hacker News goes mad over it because you know they just look at the title and what it does but they're not looking at the code underneath Peter I I told you to
1: stay out of my GitHub account
0: (laughs) So this is the thing. So like I often, especially in the Ruby world, I actually go and look at the code and I think I can't recommend this. Yeah, it's gone mad on Reddit, like people have mentioned it on Twitter. Like even, you know, people who are well-known Rubyists will mention it. Uh just because they haven't had the time to go and look at the code. And I think, well, I can't, if I bring this to everyone's attention, I'm just gonna like complete idiot. And, you know, like I'm just gonna look very negative. So I actually avoid doing that, but there's a fine balance to play there. So um yeah, in terms of being opinionated, it's it's good and it's good to have a character I found. Um you know, Always good to have a character because people do build up a, a relationship in some way you know, with your character. So whether it's via the podcast or what I say in the newsletter or Ruby Inside, people do build up a relationship. But there is a limit to that and that is that I won't now overtly go out and say things that I think are negative or will hurt people even if they're true. Just because it does my business no good um, and it does my blood pressure no good. So I'm opinionated to a point.
2: Yeah, I've kind of gone a similar way. Like um, you, you mentioned the book review thing, and I used to do tons of those. I used to write them for Slashdot and and all kinds of stuff. And I finally realized that, like, if I have something positive to say about a book, it's useful. But if I, if I don't, if I hated it or whatever, and I just write about how I hate it, that's not really useful because there's some audience that that book is for. I'm not it, you know, and, and for me to say, I'm not it, isn't really helpful. You know, it's not, it just means I'm not it, you know? And so I, I've taken to where, you know, if I read a book and I like it, I'll say something about it. If I read a book and I don't like it, then I just let it go. You know? So,
1: so that kind of brings me to two points. Cause one, um, I, I think it is valuable in some cases to see a book review where somebody's saying, you know, this, You know, this really doesn't add anything to the conversation, but at the same time, I can also see where, where that would cause problems. I can also, to some extent, uh, see that if something is really good and enough people are saying really good things about it, that'll kind of rise to the top anyway. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, place to go where it's, you know, yeah, I hated the book, so I'm just not going to say anything. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be human nature to do that either
0: no it's hard work um It's hard work not uh yeah getting people upset. I must admit, um as we've seen you know you see this a lot in the Ruby community, like there'll be these kind of uh you know people will antagonize each other, and actually not you know even in the JavaScript world, you see it like all over you see it um and it's really hard to step back and detach from that, but I think perhaps the older you get and when you start having kids and stuff like that, you know the things that are sort of happening to me um over the last couple of years. I guess, you know, you start thinking, is it really important that I go online and really finish off this argument on the internet that (laughs) really is not going to have any effect on what I'm doing in like a week, let alone a year. But Peter, someone's wrong on the internet. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Where? Where? (laughs) You won't believe actually because I'm kind of in the middle stage of that where I'm still kind of fired up to sometimes respond to people. But what I'll do is if I'll sometimes be on Hacker News and I'll like write out a response to someone and then I just will close the tab. So that's kind of like my stage, awesome. but then yeah, the eventual stage is just like, don't write the reply in the first place. <laughs> just get I, over I, I'm it. I'm going through
3: that same process. I do the same thing. So, <laughs> so I, I, I definitely agree with that, with that sort of weaning method.
1: Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to write a, a virus that uh, attacks your browser. When you close the tab, it hits submit, save or send.
0: Wow. You could actually do that with JavaScript, though, because I've always thought about this. If you ran like a community site, there's so many evil things you could do. So like over like a WebSocket or like with Ajax or whatever, you could actually track what people are typing. So you can like keep a track of all the stuff they type,
2: <laughs> even oh, if God. they
0: never actually officially send it to the site. So if you want to create an evil site where you just put everyone's true feelings up, give it a go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's true. I guess I guess you could do that. Flame yeah, I'm bait. sure Google's doing Flame. that with my queries. Yeah, frame so You are an uh, evil
3: genius. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just don't enact. I don't act on that evil. So <laughs> he has the feelings, but he's learned to suppress them. Exactly. Yeah. So I I,
3: I, I, I want a newsletter that that just like distills all of your
0: all of your evil for the month. That's yeah, right. that's that's I've the next had, newsletter I want. I've had so many people like oh, not. I'll just, I'll skip the evil part, Um, but like I've had so many people, like in the last couple of weeks, I've been launching the status code and people said, oh, why can't I just get one thing where like I'll subscribe and it will just be the whole thing. Um, And the reason is MailChimp's uh, terms of service won't let me do that. I can add people to lists, but apparently if you include, it's this really weird subclause, if you include any affiliate related kind of stuff in your newsletters, which I don't do very often, but I do occasionally then you must use double opt-in for every single list you do that on. So I'd have to do double opt-in on everything. So that's why I can't do one big mass meta list um, without kind of having to invent a whole bunch of technology to produce it as a completely separate thing. Unfortunately. Hmm. That's wild. A bit technical though. Yeah.
1: So I, I, one thing that I, I want to uh, go into a little bit here is, you know, it seems like you're into all of these different types of media, but one one area of media that I don't think I've seen from you—well, you've written a book, but I don't think I've seen you write any e Is—is that just something you haven't gotten around to, or is—is is there a reason that you haven't done that yet?
0: As I'm sure um, Avdi, at the very least, will agree. Um, you know, writing a book is—well, uh, actually, James has written a book. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you'll agree that writing a book it takes a certain level of dedication uh, to actually get it finished, and. When you've got a publisher breathing down your neck, and you know they've set deadlines, uh, you're very keen to meet them. Um, so you know when Apress set my deadlines for Beginning Ruby, I met every deadline. That wasn't a problem, even if I had to do sort of like a big all-night cram before. Uh, when you're doing your own deadlines, of course, it's somewhat more difficult. And producing something like a book is a much bigger job than producing a screencast. Um, or any of the other type of media I do. Um, and you know things like my newsletters have a built-in deadline. They have to be done on a certain day every single week. That's great. Uh, a book, however, you can kind of think, oh, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm doing a bit more research now or I've learned something new for the book. I'll just keep doing that for a while. And so I've got two that are in progress. Now, one is going to be quite easy to do. And this is kind of like my almost procrastination book to get me up to speed with the whole production process. And that is the Ruby 1.9 trick shot, uh, not Ruby 1.9, uh, the, Ruby, the Ruby trick shots uh, thing that I put out um, recently. And this is just like going to be a very, very quick, easy uh, ebook with just a bunch of code in and explanations of how certain Ruby tricks work. So I've actually got like, I think it's like 2,000 or so people now actually joined the list to find out about that when it comes out. So I kind of feel like a pressure to really get that done quick. Um, But another one that I'm working on is called Self-Promotion for Geeks, and I started this a year ago, and if you actually Google for Self-Promotion for Geeks, you'll find a really early build I did of a PDF. Um, It's about 90 pages or something. Um, But I haven't – I really want to get this done because I've had so many people say, please, I want this book. and because of all the things I've learned in the past year with the newsletters and selling screencasts and stuff like that, I just have now so much more material and advice that I can put in uh, to help other people do all of this stuff for themselves. Um, but yes, you haven't seen an ebook directly from me yet, but this is something I really, really, really want to get done. Um, I just need to find those uh, extra bits of willpower to uh, get them out of the, you know get them out of the door, as it were.
1: Oh, cool! Please, yeah. I really want this book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just have actually one thing to add to all of this um that you know we've seen from people like uh, Jeffrey Grossenbach and now Ryan Bates with his railscast pro um and actually James with his email um newsletter subscription and that is the whole idea of subscribing to something and that's an area that I'm kind of like looking at now like I used to look at Amy and Mark's training um I'm looking at all of those guys now and thinking you know actually that is a really good model to have people subscribe to things. And oh, Gary Bernhardt as well with uh, his Destroy All Screencasts. You know, that thing of having like, I don't know, let's say even just like, let's say a thousand people paying $8 a month. You know, it's $8,000 a month, bam. Um, You know, there is a certain level of expectation. You have to produce the content. There's that built-in deadline that I like. Um, So I really like that model of subscribing and so on. Um, It's just been very difficult logistically for me to set up anything like that till now, but now I have a proper merchant account so I can, um, so watch out everyone um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I guess that's the one thing that I haven't done that I'm seeing so many people do now um, it would be great to get involved with that, but uh, you know, and hopefully I've uh, got enough email subscribers to promote that stuff too now, so I guess I kind of get a bit of a head start sometimes with these newsletters that I have the, the built in audience that I can just like say, look at all my stuff Um, (laughs) nice so yeah so that's where i'm thinking next but so i haven't come up with any firm plans yet
1: all right well we're we're about to pick does anyone have any other questions before we uh go into that
0: Uh, let's see tumbleweed Tumbleweed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) i think we covered everything i wanted to know I, i just think it's cool that empire you're you're kind of building up and and how I, I like how you've layered things on as you went, you know, they, they you started with the the newsletters, I guess, is probably the first, you know, breakout thing. And that ended up turning out to be powerful because you built up your audience and, and were able to use it to do a bunch of other things. And I, I just think that's kind of cool, you know, of how you slowly transformed your business into what you wanted it to be.
0: Well, kind of. Mm. Yet almost everything has been an accident so far. Everything has been a weird chain of events. I only started Ruby Inside because I was asked to write a Ruby book by A-Press who asked me because I was doing personal blogging about Ruby. But then Ruby Inside turned into a news blog and then that turned into advertising money. That turned into like trying to do it as a career, a media kind of career. Um, That turned into thinking, hang on, I could try an email newsletter. And then that turned into, oh, I could launch a course off the back of this newsletter. And that turned into Ruby 1.9 walkthrough. And I thought, ha, I can sell a screencast now, so that turned into the next screencast I'll do, and everything's kind of been this chain of side projects and experiments at the end of the day. There's almost nothing that I sat down and thought, this is going to be a business that I'm going to make, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, off we go. Everything's been a side project or an accident at some level or another, so that's why I keep trying all of these weird things that you see coming along.
1: Isn't it funny how that happens? I mean, um, it's been kind of the same journey for me with, uh, well, even just getting into programming, I Uh, I took computer engineering in in college, which is more hardware-based, incidentally. But uh, I was working in IT, so I got a tech support job while I was finishing up school. Uh, That turned into managing tech support. And while I was managing tech support, we needed something to manage our workload. The company wouldn't buy it, so I started building it with another guy in Ruby on Rails. And I got into programming. And it was all just kind of this incidental thing, and it was the same with, with the podcasting, is that... Um I you know, I, I just worked out to uh I was listening to podcasts and then I reached out to uh Greg and said Greg Pollock and said, Hey, what does it take to start one? So I started one, started interviewing people, started making friends all over the community, uh started hearing that people wanted specific things. Um, you know, I wound up taking over teachmetocode.com about the same time frame, and then um, you know, I'd been toying with the idea of putting something like this together and then James tweeted that he wanted to do something like this. And so we, we put our heads together and it just kind of happened. And, uh, you know, so then, you know, this was fun. So I decided, well, it'd be fun to do this for JavaScript. So I put that one together and then I was chatting with some friends, um, some freelancers who I uh, incidentally have a little channel with on Skype here. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, it'd be fun to do a podcast like this. And then the next week we were doing it for the freelancing too. And yeah, it's, it's, it's literally just been, oh, I just kind of stumble into this and there you go. That that's the next thing. And you know, it, 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 it's, it's really funny to me how, um, if you're trying to deliberately start something, a lot of times, you know, you, you kind of force it to be something that it's not, but if you almost organically find your way into something, then it seems to work out because it's not something just that you want, but it's something that other people are interested into.
0: Yeah, the pro tip is just keep trying things that appeal to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think
3: there's another there's another lesson there um, that I'm hearing from both of you, uh, and which which uh, I've also experienced myself, which is that you know if you're not if you're not very prominent and you want to become more prominent, more known, a great way to do that is by making other people better known. So mm-hmm. rather than trying to get your own stuff out there. Um, find a way to ask other people about what they're doing and and put that out there. You know whether that's that's doing podcast interviews with people that are doing interesting projects, um, or or blogging interviews, or um, or just you know publishing news. Um, it's it's an amazingly effective way of you know it's 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 this thing where you know uh, to use a phrase that, that I know um, Peter's fond of. You know, rising tide uh, lifts all boats. You you lift up other people's work, and and you also you know now they the people that you've talked about know about you, and and uh, and the people that you're you know that you're publishing to uh, know about you, and and you also have you know sort of your finger on the pulse of what people are interested in. So so uh, it, I mean, would you would you can agree that that's uh, kind of a theme there?
1: Yes, oh, yeah, so definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
2: People often talk about uh, how I seem to just know like endless details about Ruby. And uh, if you look back, when I first got involved in the Ruby community, I used to document the standard libraries. So I would read through the code, figure out how they worked, mess with them, get them into all kinds of weird scenarios, you know, and stuff like that. So that's how I gained all that bizarre knowledge of, you know, how Ruby works. And so that, that knowledge has paid off over time. And then uh, I worked on, you know, TextMate uh, doing the, the ruby bundle for a while and learned a lot about just editors in general and now uh, actually one of the projects i'm kind of working on the side is is also editor related so you know it's just kind of how how you accidentally get into those things kind of the accidental successes along the way
0: yeah i'm sure the ruby quiz helped as well
2: yes absolutely yeah that, <laughs> i mean that was a massive spotlight Right. Every week I read, you know, code from tons of Ruby. So, yeah, I learned tons of tricks. Yeah, there absolutely.
1: Yeah. One other thing that I want to point out that's kind of been um, referred to by Avdi is just that, you know, it, you, you reach out and you kind of help promote somebody else. But there are a lot of people that are near the top or, you know above you anyway. And most of those people are fairly accessible. I mean, there are a few people that are just kind of inundated with, Hey, you know, can I, can I be involved with you? Can I talk to you? Can I interview you? Whatever. And they're not interested because, you know, they just, they get a ton of requests all the time. But, uh, for the most part, people are pretty accessible. And so, um, I found, um, when I was getting started with my podcast, um, I had both James and Peter on the podcast and, you know, I didn't really know them, you know, and, and, I kind of had them up on this, you know, pedestal and they definitely had larger audiences than I did. But, uh, you know, it, it's really surprising to me still how I reach out to somebody that I think, you know, this guy works at Google and, you know, he does all of these amazing things and, you know, it just turns out, Hey, you know, he's willing to come and, and chat on the podcast or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it works out really well. And it's, it's amazing to me how, um how much of a community we really do have and how people in the community are willing to help each other out. So
0: I'll share a data point on that actually. Um in terms of people actually like asking me to do like a like an interview, whether written or like a podcast type of thing, it's only about five or six a year, so you know i i'm not sort of like being constantly harassed to like you know come on interviews or things like that so i'll t- i tend to well i think i pretty much accept all of them um, mm-hmm. but then they all seem to be good all seem to be good for good people i haven't had like any requests from people that just seem really scammy or weird so i probably get loads now
1: right well the yeah, so the one, i'm
0: not inundated
1: yeah the instance i was thinking of was uh if you go to the contact page on john resig's blog he's the guy that created <laughs> jquery oh man he's, that page. he's 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 very explicit i'm not doing interviews i'm not speaking at your thing you know and so it's like if you really want to get a hold of me i'm sure he's willing to talk to you about technical stuff but yeah you know um doing anything else you know that way he's not necessarily interested but even then you know he has his email listed right there
0: so let's uh, let's play a game let's guess who's not going to be speaking at O'Reilly Fluent
2: uh, uh, uh. you wouldn't have any inside track on that would you Peter?
0: No, I wouldn't. Actually, we've put half the program together now, but uh, I guess that's the one thing I can release is that John Rezig will not be speaking,
2: unfortunately.
0: Right. But yeah, he, he literally is not taking any engagements like that. So
1: Yeah. Well, and you, you know, go. everybody's kind of a different place, so.
0: He's very busy.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, we are going to get into the picks. Avdi, what are your picks?
3: Uh, I don't know. I've been racking my brain uh, over this episode, and, and I guess I'm, I I'm, haven't had enough coffee this morning. Uh, that's a good pick, coffee. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll just say this one. I uh, I've been really enjoying um, I've been really enjoying Land of Lisp, which we've been reading for the uh, for the book club, and I think it's it's a really neat approach to the subject matter. Uh, however, uh, reading through it brought to mind uh, an old and kind of lesser known, as far as I can tell, Lisp book uh, that I ran across years ago, and uh, kind of caused me to go hunt it down again. And that's a book called Successful Lisp, which is a. Uh, it was originally just an ebook. It was just published online, but you can now get a printed copy of it. And it's explicitly aimed towards experienced programmers, definitely not an introduction to programming. And what I always liked about it is it did something which it seems like no other Lisp book has had the guts to do, which is it actually uses. Um, it actually uses some of the modern aliases for some of the Lisp functions. So, uh, rather than saying uh, to get the first the, the first part of a list, you use car, and to to get the rest of the list, you use cutter. I mean, that's just that's just obvious. Of course, that's how you get the first and rest parts of the list. It actually uh, says you use first to get the first part of a list and rest to get the rest. And then it has a little note at the bottom that says a lot of list programmers use car and cdr, which are based on some, on some hardware red- registers in the original list machines, um, which, you know, and, and it's purely an imp- implementation detail. And, uh, and it seems like that's, that's, uh, some sort of blasphemy, uh, not to use car and cutter, but I find it a, a, a I found it a very refreshing intro to the language that they were actually using terms that made sense rather than terms that I had to understand uh, a bunch of history just to, uh, just to wrap my mind around.
1: All right. James, what are your
3: picks?
2: I've got a technical one and a non-technical one this time around. Uh, for the technical pick, I, I just got done watching the Peep Code Advanced Get screencast. Um, And this is a pretty unusual screencast, I think, for our peep code, especially. Um, If you watch it, you may almost think it's kind of boring uh, in in some ways. Like, there's not a lot going on there. Uh, It's basically a screencast about how a Git expert, you know, solves Uh, problems using Git and it basically boils down to, uh, you know, some, some clever use of the log and, and uh, you know what the ref log is, uh, which of course, you know, pretty much always get into if you get into advanced Git stuff. But actually I I think the screencast is kind of badly named. Uh, It it might be better to call it real world Git (laughs) because it's just so alarmingly practical. And, um, uh, I think one of the reasons to watch it alone is um, uh, he talks about merging at one point and how you know what merge commits are and, and why you have them and stuff. And he takes a uh, pretty much the opposite view that uh, you know the world's pretty obsessed with right now using uh, you know only fast forward everywhere and keeping that perfectly flat branch and. And uh, you know he, he likes the he calls them train tracks where you can see the different merges coming together and and why that is and stuff and and so it's just kind of a refreshing conversation about Git. So uh, you know if you just if you use Git on a real superficial level, add commit and stuff like that, you you would not enjoy this at all. Um, but if you enjoy getting into why it is the way it is and what that means and. And how that affects us, uh, then then it's a pretty cool uh, screencast that I definitely recommend. Uh, my non-technical pick this time. I've been watching Big Bang Theory uh, and catching up on episodes. We actually discussed it in the pre-show last week, and uh, both David Brady and Josh Tesar disagree with me. So I had to wait until they were both gone before I could uh, uh, say this and get away with it. But um, <laughs> it's actually Big Bang we, Theory we, rules. I know. Isn't it great? Uh, It is actually a controversial show. Uh, There's a popular post online about why uh, geeks don't like it. Um, And you can check that out. Uh, At the same time, though, there's uh, another post about why geeks do like it. Uh, So I guess it depends on which one of those camps you fall into. Uh, but I happen to be on the uh, why geeks do like it side. I, I love to see us made fun of, even, even if it's to the extreme. And uh, uh, the, show, the show does that well. And, and it has a lot of uh, meat to it, I think, in some of the jokes and stuff like that. Um, the, the only thing I will say, a lot of the complaints uh, raised against the why geeks hate it uh, seem to come from the early parts of the show. Uh, keep going. It, it kind of gets better as it goes, and they sort out some of those uh, some of those problems along the way, and, and it, it does actually improve. So, anyways, if you haven't if you haven't checked out Big Bang Theory, like I just got into it recently, but I'm enjoying it and having a great time. So, I, I'd recommend it. Those are my picks.
1: Cool. All right, I'll go next. Um, I have a couple of picks. The first one is uh, A Weber, which is. Um, kind of the older alternative to uh, MailChimp, which was mentioned by Peter. Um, I I really generally like AWeber. The The interface seems more intuitive to me, um, and I like the way a lot of the things work with it. Um, I have used MailChimp, and MailChimp works just fine. Um, and I've actually used their API and liked the API on MailChimp, but AWeber is what I've been using for my uh, newsletter for a while, and I, like I said, I really do uh, like what it offers. So I'll just throw that out there. Um, my other pick is something that I've been playing with lately. Um, I wanted to put a forum system in since I'm building, I'm making no secret of this, so I may as well just mention it. Um, I'm working on a membership site for freelancers at rubyfreelancers.com. And that's also incidentally where the Ruby Freelancers show is hosted. If you want to listen to that. And, um, So I wanted a forum in there and I was kind of dreading having to build it myself. Well, it turns out that there is an open source Rails engine that uh, will put a forum into your application. All you have to do is include the engine and, you know, make a couple of tweaks. Um, It's called Forum, F-O-R-E-M, and uh, I guess it's written by Ryan Big. And uh, anyway, really, really cool system. I'm not sure if it has everything I want, but I am willing to go and hack it so that it does and I'll probably contribute all that back. Um, But it's definitely uh, a good start to what I want, and it'll save me a lot of the hassle of trying to figure that out, so. um, Those are my picks. Peter, do you have some picks?
0: I'll be very quick. Um, I just want to second the Big Bang Theory thing. Um, The reason I like it is because I don't perform sociological analysis on my TV shows. I just watch them and enjoy them, so I really love it. Um, And Kaylee Cuoco is just absolutely gorgeous, um, just to bring that in. Bringing back to Ryan Big, you just mentioned, um, want to recommend his and Yehuda Katz's Rails Free in Action. The book hasn't seemed to get much attention, but it's a really, really good book. Um, I guess it's been overshadowed a little bit by Rails Tutorial by Michael Hartle, which is also very good. Uh, just want to recommend that, though. Um, Monocle Magazine is kind of like one of my big inspirations in this whole publishing scene. They're doing a lot of stuff um, that I'm kind of almost studying the models of in various ways. Uh, print-only magazine in kind of like they cross the areas of like business, culture, and design. It's a bit kind of weird, but it's a very international uh, magazine. It's very, very, very good. I definitely recommend uh, subscribing to that, my favorite by far. And uh, last but not least, I'm going to add a link, um, and you can put in the show notes, to a, a Stack Overflow discussion that I kicked off, which came from I read that someone said that JavaScript is an untyped language. And I thought, that doesn't mesh with my knowledge of type systems in programming languages at all. Um, I asked Brendan Eich and he says, yeah, some people refer to, you know, uh, dynamically typed languages as being untyped, uh, air quotes. Um, so I asked about it, you know, do people refer to it in that way? Is that an academic thing to do? It turns out, yes, it's a very common thing to do. Some people think it's evil. Some people think it's a good idea. So there's this big kind of like free for all on uh, Stack Overflow and someone who's actually a PhD in computer science shared the history behind the whole thing. So I think some people might find that interesting if they're kind of they're geeking out on that type of stuff that's my picks
1: is JavaScript an untyped system or language <laughs> all right so a couple of business things next week we're talking to Conrad barsky about land of Lisp so if you haven't gotten it go get it you can get it at nostarch.com use the uh, promo code Ruby rogues to get a 30 20 30 I guess 30 it's a 20 or 30 percent discount on the book so uh, you know that's a great way to go um, also we are in iTunes so if you want to go into iTunes leave us a review. Um, or leave us a a rating. That would be terrific. And uh, finally, you know, go check out some of the other shows, uh, javascriptjabber.com, rubyfreelancers.com, and teachmetocode.com. And uh, we'll catch you next week.